This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. When I first saw this story, I thought it was inside baseball, but now it looks like it could do some serious damage to the Ford government and perhaps end the honeymoon the PCs have been enjoying. It's about a conservative operative named Ali Khan Velshi. He worked in Stephen Harper's office and went on to become Patrick Brown's chief of staff when he was the PC leader. He turned on Brown, resigning at the very moment Brown faced the cameras to answer those sexual misconduct allegations that brought him down. Then he resurfaced. He served uh, interim leader Vic Fideli as his chief of staff. Well, after that, not so surprisingly, he landed a plum job at Ontario Power Generation. So the word is, and this was reported, broken by the Globe and Mail, that Doug Ford's chief of staff, Dean French, called OPG's chairman of the board to have Velshi fired on his very first day of work. A dismissal, which according to that report, could cause taxpayers a cool half a million dollars. The opposition has seized on this. You heard the bobbing and weaving from question period in Bob's News. Now we want to know what you think. Is that going too far to what appears to be settling a political score? The numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We have a great panel to weigh in on this. We have conservative strategist John McCutishan, Tom Parkin, who is an NDP commentator, and David Witten, who's a manager partner with Witten and Lublin Employment Lawyers. And David, let's start with you. Uh, hello. Are you there, David? I am. Okay. So uh, $500,000 from what we know of OPG salaries, uh, you know, that sounds in the ballpark. Uh, so it, would that be a, a thing in a contract where somebody would say, if you cancel this contract for any reason, you have to pay it out in full? Yeah, well, severance entitlement can be found in two places. It can be in a contract, a so-called golden handshake, uh, which prescribes a formula for what he would get. Or if he doesn't have a severance formula in the contract, we have uh, the common law, we say, which is judge-made law that says that every employee terminated without cause is entitled to pay in lieu of notice or actual notice of termination based on their age, their service, in this case, one day, it sounds like, um, and their position, with a view to what's a reasonable period of time for Mr. Velshi to find a comparable alternate position. Uh, okay, yeah. Do, do you know of many contracts that, that would have a provision? I mean, I know when it comes to executives, they're often very, very generous, but have you seen contracts that basically say, 
any reason, any dismissal, it's, it's paid out in full? Well, they would always reserve the right to terminate for cause, and that's implied as well, too. But I can't imagine there's cause to, turn Mr. Velsh, uh, to terminate Mr. Velshi because he just got there. So it, it, assuming his performance was not so abysmal in those first couple of hours, uh, this is a without cause termination. So what that w- would be in the contract is if you're terminated within a certain period of time or at any point during your employment, you will receive X. Sometimes it's a formula, for example, you'll get one month per year of service. Or maybe in this case, if the estimates we've heard are accurate, uh, a minimum of one year's compensation, something to that effect. But I guess I would say that if he does have that golden handshake provision in his contract, that was pretty irresponsible on OPG's part to uh, agree to something like that for somebody who is starting uh, in the role. So uh, let's hope it's not in a contract because that would be of concern. Okay. Uh, And before I move on to the others, have you seen provisions like that? I have, but typically it's in the private sector where there's been a recruitment involved. Like uh, a private sector employer wants top talent for a CEO or another C-class executive, and the only way they're going to get that person on board is to offer them maybe a signing bonus and a lucrative severance provision if they're let go in the future. I, based on Mr. Velshi's resume, I can't see why they would feel the need to uh, have such a generous provision to get him to join OPG. Okay, let's bring in John McEtition. Hi, John. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Now, uh, you have some uh, strong feelings about Mr. Velshi. Yeah, uh, he, uh, I'm not sure how in any world he got his job. So all the focus so far has been on um, the furor over um, him being uh, fired and his severance which I, I can't imagine, uh, just to echo what's been said, in any world how there would be provisions for him to get any kind of real money, unless, unless there's something there that says he was never meant to stay there. He was, it was merely a game to give him a job to get the severance in the first place. So whether or not it's a game, and I'm going to suggest something completely sinister here, how did he get this job? Who who was the person behind pushing him, recommending him? He this was not a public uh, search. This was a wired uh, political appointment, whether it followed a, a proper process or not. But who was the person who got Velshi the job that he should have never given his past record? Should have never been eligible for another uh, job in any role in the public sector at any level. Okay, well, it's a crown corporation, and what they keep saying, what the conservatives keep saying, is that uh, OPG makes its own decisions. I mean, you know, personally, I I think every, you know, I'm sure liberals have done similar things, intervened in in a crown corporation, perhaps, but, uh, you know, how do you you see this happening, and, and, um, uh, you know, why do you say that Mr. Velshi should, should not have a job in the public sector? So, okay, so two questions here. The first one is um, he he displayed the lowest of all uh, personal and professional standards in the way he handled his job with uh, uh, Patrick Brown. Uh, Chief of staff to any political leader is supposed to have the person's back and be there uh, for them as their, uh, uh, you know, uh, not bodyguard, but they're supposed to have their back. 
Uh, and Belshi certainly is one of the architects for the worst press conference in the history of politics. Um, uh, betraying Patrick uh, the day he uh, fell from grace by sending him out to a press conference and and along with the other uh, you know traitorous uh, people on his team that went out in the hallway and quit uh, while that was going on that that, that was unprecedented unheralded uh, never be seen so that is the Velshi's actually the poster boy for someone who should never or anybody like him ever hired on any political staff ever again. But now, OPG isn't is supposedly not political. Well, so so that goes to the question of uh, you know the independence of OPG and how somebody gets a job there. So there wasn't a public search. Uh, he doesn't have the professional, uh, given his past performance, uh, the professional uh, uh, character or the professional. Uh, actuality for how he handled his job. Now, what's interesting is you mentioned he was Patrick Brown's chief until he did the infamous tweet from the hallway while Patrick was uh, burning alive at the podium. Uh, what was What's in between is that he didn't even clear out his desk when Fidelity decided to hire him. So given that that's now the finance minister, and clearly this government, you know, arm's length is one thing, but let's be clear, the chair, the board, of uh, this organization uh, kind of does what the government says or they get replaced pretty quickly. So, uh, you know, arm's length is one thing. Taking advice is one thing. Um, there, there's a lot more to this story that we don't know. Uh, but what I can tell you from, uh, from my perspective, um, Dean French, uh, you know, uh, what we believe if we read the papers, is that the Premier's Chief of Staff found out what was going on and intervened uh, immediately to have Velshi fired. And I can't think of a bigger public service than writing a wrong like that. And there's no way he should be getting $5, let alone $500,000. Okay, let's bring in Tom Parkin. Uh, Tom, does the opposition have a winner with this? Well, yeah, of course, because everything that's been said is, you know, absolutely mind-boggling and makes no sense to the average person. It doesn't fit our experience of how working life uh, goes. We, n- nobody uh, does a terrible job, uh, gets into a crown corporation at a high high level, uh, possibly for you know political relations uh, or, or because of, he's a political insider, then gets fired on one day's notice because he's now part of some power play between different factions of, of the same same party, and now there's a vendetta against, uh, you know, between this person and that person, and suddenly he, he walks out the door with one day's work with a half a million dollars. So this is completely uh, unacceptable uh, because it's, it, it, it's just stupefyingly different than the reality of everyday life for 99.9% of Ontarians. Well, and, and, there's and no question. Have an absolute right to be absolutely angry at Mr. Ford about all of this. Because it's ridiculous. It it is absolutely beyond anything. I mean, you know, we're used to hearing about uh, big executive pay, as David Witten was telling us about, and and the kinds of bonuses and severance provisions that you need when you're luring somebody away from one job into another. Uh, But uh, this is, it it is kind of mind-boggling. Now, just back to the politics of it, uh, you know, um, 
basically, uh, this guy stabbed Patrick Brown in the back, but he was uh, hired by Vic Fideli, presumably to expose the, quote, rot in in the party office, all the irregularities they pointed to. So uh, doesn't that show that he has some political use, savvy? I, I, I guess, but this is, these are supposed to be our public services. This is what's the stunning part. We have a chief of staff to the premier calling the CEO of a, of a publicly the owned The chair of the board. Yeah, uh, chair of the board, uh, who is a former conservative premier in New Brunswick, by the way, and I don't know if that plays into this or not. But this just all stinks. When we own a public asset like a hospital or a school uh, or, or an electricity generating company or like OPG, the expectation is that Yes, the government will provide overall direction, but it does not intervene in the day-to-day operations, and it certainly does not call people out and say, I want that particular guy who's three levels down from the CEO to get fired. That is, I, I mean, this, is, this kind of interference with uh, our electricity sector is what the old government was about. And we thought, you know, the, I, and now we've really gone from bad to worse, where this has just been a com- continuation of this idea that uh, crown, uh, crown enterprises that are supposed to be public services are, in fact, plunder. Okay. And that is disturbing to me. So how he got there, that sounds like plunder. How he got kicked out, that sounds like plunder to me. And that's where I say we have every right to be angry because it's, it's just a symptom of the idea that whoever gets in winner takes all, we can take over the crown assets and we can put our people in there, and we can dictate who gets fired and who we, who gets hired. Okay, that's David. Not, that's David, not the way to run the public service. That's David that's out Witten. Of in your experience in in the private sector, uh, uh, do you find that a lot of things actually work on a phone call from you know the right person? And uh, what chance is there if this is in the contract? What chance is there of OPG? Uh, getting away with not paying it? Um, well, Libby, I mean, first of all, I, rhetoric aside, I can't help but note the, the contradiction in Don's comments. Like, on the one hand, he's pilloring Mr. Velshi for potentially getting his job based on some political interference. We don't know anything about that. We don't know. I, I mean, first of all, Mr. Brown wasn't in power when he was tapped for this job, so query whether Patrick could have made a call that anybody would have taken to get him the job. So separate and apart from that, we do know that the Premier's office called and got him fired. So I, I guess I'm just at a bit of a loss as a voter as to how two wrongs could make a right if, just, if the suggestion that he got his job because of some political uh, background It would have deal. been, uh, the suggestion would be it would have come from Vic Fideli's faction, that as far as I understand it. Patrick Brown would not want to do this guy any favors. Well, right, or whoever made the call. But again, if he got, the suggestion being that he got his job because of a political backroom deal, we don't know, that could be the case, but we know he lo- how he lost it. So I'm, I'm wondering how to two wrongs make a right. But in any event, I mean, at the end of the day, this... Don also referred to a public hiring process. I mean, this is, these are not the types of jobs that you post on Monster. I mean, these are generally the positions are filled by a search firm. Right. So, but so that's, that's what John, John McCutition was saying that he didn't, that there was no public search for this that he knows of. 
Well, public, again, this isn't, you don't take an ad out in a paper for that type of job. It could have been that there was a search and other candidates were considered, uh, and he was the successful candidate. We just don't know enough about that. So I don't know how he got the job. It may have been on merit. So that aside, to your question as to whether we can, the government or OPG can get out from underneath the severance obligations, I mean, there's only two ways you don't pay a severance. That's if somebody resigns or they're terminated for cause. And terminations for cause are what we call the capital punishment of employment law. So unless they found a body under his desk or that he was stealing from OPG, they don't have cause. So then it's a termination without cause. And the law says you have to pay a severance because regardless of what happened, he left a job to take this one. Now he's got to find a new job. And our legal system says that unless you have cause to terminate somebody, you've got to bridge them through to the next job. Uh, right. But uh, what I'm saying is, would they have to pay the full amount? It depends on the wording of the severance. Like if there is a provision in his contract, it may stipulate, like, you get 12 months severance uh, if we let you go at any point, in which case they'd have to pay the 12 months. If we're not talking about a contractual severance provision and we're defaulting to the common law, which again looks at age, service, and position with a view to how much time does he need to find a comparable alternate position, I mean, that could also be sizable because these types of jobs, they don't fall from the sky often, so it's going to take them a while to find a comparable role. Okay, I want to give the numbers out again before we get back to our panel. I'd like to hear what you out there think of this. I know uh, we have a lot of listeners who are in favor of the Ford government. Does this change anything for you? What do you think of this? Is it kind of a dirty deal? Does it bug you that it can be a lot of your money, of taxpayers' money, on the line here? The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And John McEtitian, what do you think? Is this something that you think will uh, damage this government, or is it, you know, something that will last for a couple of days and blow over? Uh, I, I think uh, uh, the focus will change. I mean, uh, that's where you know it's not two wrongs. Uh, it, it's the uh, if if Dean French intervened to right a wrong. Uh, Velshi should have never been hired. So I think when people start to understand that uh, bad guy should have never got hired uh, and he was trading on favor, how he got there is, I think that story will continue to unfold. The fact that, uh, you know, the premier's office seems to have intervened and said no, I think that'll put him in good stead over time. Uh, you know, getting rid of a, a bad employee or someone that you don't want part of your organization or to reflect you has, uh, you know, much, much bigger implications. And, and that's where I think they're, you know, uh, they acted quickly and uh, properly because if they hadn't, uh, it would only make it worse from what uh, Mr. Parkin said, that uh, the longer he's there, the more he's entitled to. Yeah, but if it, if uh, if he's entitled to half a million dollars, that sounds like uh, the full payout of the contract to me. Right, and I, unless and I he's making even more than that, I can't believe anybody anybody at OPG signed a contract uh, that gate that actually looks like that. And if they did, then I think it begs the question of did they ever expect the terms to be fulfilled, or was it not simply a how fast can we uh, give this guy a half a million dollars for? 
for uh, questionable reasons using public money, and then I think it blows up in a worse way. So if I was the government or OPG, uh, I would fight, uh, you know, any version of paying anything outsizable, uh, you know, in court for as long as it took. Yeah, except if there's a contract and that's what the contract said, you'll lose. Well, but but you know what? Uh, in, in when things go to court and people dispute their contracts, there's a wearing down, and uh, um, you know that process is costly for both sides. So, you know, I, I think it's always better to to fight a bad situation than to give up and give a reward to somebody. Okay, well, uh, it's 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 not with the party's money, uh, Tom Parkin. Uh, is this something that you think the opposition will keep at? Well, they should keep at it. Uh, I hope they keep at it. I think there are a lot of unanswered questions. Again, I mean, Mr. Velshi is 34 years old. He, he just, he, he's only been in the working world for about 10 years. He went to law school. He grew up here in Toronto. And went to uh, an elite private boys' school. Uh, went to law school. Got involved in politics at the age of 34 as a vice president somehow uh, of OPG. Um, I think... People really scratch their heads with this stuff and think, how does this go on? Uh, what, what group is this? What, what club are you a member of uh, that this is permitted? In, in what world? It's not, it's not my world, Libby. It's not anybody's normal world. So, yes, people, the, the politicians should continue to, to press, and the opposition should continue to press on this, because this is abnormal. This is wrong. It's uh, wrong from a business point of view. It's wrong from a moral point of view. And it unfortunately fits in with a whole bunch of other wrong things that we've seen from this government. And frankly, probably the media will take a lead on rather than the opposition NDP. Things like, you know, we've seen recently the attempt by Mr. Ford to, to cover up Jim Wilson's sexual misconduct. We saw a senior person in Mr. Ford's office fired for sexual misconduct. We have uh, the executive director of the PC caucus office fired without explanation, now hiring a lawyer. We saw two people, uh, we heard, we've got a police report, news report of a police report last week, that two people have been arrested in association with a probe into potentially cr- criminal ballot box stuffing and a PC nomination. We have, um, you know, a minister who was appointed as the transport minister, whose sister was the lead lobbyist for the Road Contractors Association. I mean, did nobody check that out? Was that seen as being okay? Another minister who was involved in a $40 million Ponzi scheme that cost he, he was devoted. A, lot of, a lot of their, their savings. So it fits into this bigger narrative about who are these people? How are, they, how are they? How is this the all-star team that Doug Ford promised during the election campaign? Okay, let's take a call from Dennis in Brampton. Hi, Dennis. Thanks, Libby, for taking my call. And all I'm going to say is... Uh, this government for the people is uh, just piling up the uh, cost for decisions that are questionable in the least. And uh, in the energy sector, we already had the $1 million payout to Mayo Schmidt fiasco, and now we've got yet another one. So uh, how they're going to deal with the deficit is beyond me. And I'm not even talking about the legal costs that are, are resulting from the cancellation of cap and trade. So uh, for me, uh, this government is not getting the job done. Okay, Dennis, thanks for that. I think that uh, kind of sums up sums up how you feel pretty well. Thank you.
Thank you. Okay, uh, we are uh, basically running out of time on this. Uh, David Witten, what would you like to leave us with? Well, if this ends up in a public battle, I think the only people that are going to benefit from that are the lawyers. If there's a contract, Libby, and it says what he's entitled to upon termination, the government should pay that if they don't want to keep him around. I mean, that's the cost of doing business. I don't see any value in trying to challenge him, challenge the enforceability of that contract in the public sphere before the courts. Uh, because he'll inevitably come out with the payment and it, with reimbursement for his legal fees, and the public will just pay more for that. So I'm hopeful that they can resolve this quietly and move on. Okay, John McCutcheon. Uh, I look forward to seeing the uh, story unfold, and I wonder how many of the questions uh, after Fidelity presents the economic statement tomorrow are going to be about his former chief of staff getting a plum and whether or not he had any role in it. Okay, yeah, a lot of other interesting things should come up uh, after the economic statement tomorrow. Of course, we're going to have that. And Tom Parton, very quickly, what would you like to leave us with? Uh, that our, uh, you know, our public services and the public service itself are supposed to be professional. And uh, a lot of people got you know, disenchanted with the wind government because they didn't treat it that way. They undermined it with their politicization of everything from electricity to transit planning. And this just is the continuation. So it is a bad to worse story. And the opposition, the media has to, I think, step it up because our public services are important. They should be run in a professional way, free from this kind of political interference. It's the only way we can move forward. Okay. Thank you all, Tom Parkin, David Witten, and John McAtishan. Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Libby. Bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.